Hi, this is Unsuitable with Mary B. Seyfried, the podcast where I interview single Christians about their lives and faith. Hey there, I am so stoked for you to hear from today's guest. Kat Harris is a Brooklyn-based online educator, digital content creator, female empowerment advocate. She loves God, a good Beyonce dance party, and has an affinity for ranch dressing. Her vision is for women to know their beauty, identity, and value. She has a BS in Biblical Studies from Dallas Baptist University and is co-founder of the online publication, The Refined Woman, and host of the Refined Collective podcast. She has also been a full-time photographer for the last decade, and her work has been featured in Vanity Fair, GQ, Forbes, People, Who, What, Where, Us Weekly, and Glamour UK. She believes in the power of story, that done is better than perfect, quality trumps quantity, and that every opportunity is an opportunity for growth if we choose it to be. The vehicles for her message are her podcast, online courses, written articles, hosted leadership development workshops, speaking at conferences, and more. It has become a bigger passion in her life than she could have imagined. In this episode, Kat and I talk about her incredible creative journey, and you'll get a super practical step-by-step process from her on how to overcome limiting narratives and choose freedom over fear. Grab a pen and some paper. You'll want to take notes. Stay tuned until the very end to hear some awesome resources Kat has for you, as well as an exciting announcement from me. Hey, Kat, welcome. Hey, Mary B. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, I'm so excited for our conversation. I know it's going to be super valuable for the listeners and just from how I've been able to follow along with your creative journey. I know you have so much wisdom to share. Oh, well, thanks. I'm I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to connect with you. And yeah, the creative journey is <laughs> nothing about it is linear. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm happy, always happy to share my uh, my very, you know, scribble scrabble journey. <laughs> uh, scribble scrabble, I think, is absolutely the way to describe it. That's how mine has been as well. It's yeah. Just to kind of start off, I, I love having fellow podcasters on, and your podcast, um, as of recording this, just hit a really big milestone. Yeah, one hundred episodes, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're at we just hit a hundred episodes this week, and we're actually about to hit five hundred thousand downloads, hopefully by oh, end of day, which. You know, to some podcasts is really small, but to us, we're, I'm just so, so thrilled about that. Um, I mean, you podcast, it's such a labor of love. And it's yeah. so funny. People are like, you must make so much money off your podcast. <laughs> and I'm like, I lose money off of it every single month. It does yep. not make me any money, um, yep. but it's something that I feel very called to and just, so excited about and feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so um, I feel very, very grateful to get to do it. Yeah. You know, I feel the same way about podcasting. Um, And it's so interesting, uh, as you were saying, talking to people about it, because it really is just a money pit. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize that. Mm -hmm. Um, So whenever anyone comes to me and asks like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. I'm like, I want you to go in eyes wide open totally. and know 
Um, but I'm sure, you know, there's other value to it as well, as I'm sure oh, yeah. you have learned just through different marketing opportunities and stuff like that and building connection and relationship with your audience and, and being able to connect in a specific way. Absolutely. And I think if there is one thing I would have known before starting my podcast, so I started my podcast, The Refined Collective, mm-hmm. six years into my blog, The Refined Woman. Okay. And so I just thought, oh, this will just be another extension of my brand. I'm already blogging every week. I already am interviewing women. Let's just record Mm -hmm. these conversations. And Mm -hmm. I thought this will just take one or two hours extra a week. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's Mm -hmm. what I didn't know is that it's a completely separate entity. It's Mm -hmm. its own business. It, it could not be possible without a team. And mm-hmm. I mean, some people do everything on their own from yeah. reaching out to guests to show notes to the graphics to the audio mixing and production, which I mean, I can barely turn on my iPhone without being like, <laughs> ah, is this going to blow up? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, I actually had a phone call with a girl this week and she was saying how much she really wanted to start an online business and uh, perhaps a podcast and a blog because she's ready to shift her careers. And I said, well, hold on a minute. (laughs) It's, you know, don't quit your day job yet. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. The time element is definitely one I also underestimated Mm -hmm. going in. Um, And I do have like a you know, I work with a sound editor and uh, this season added on more of a content editor as well because mm-hmm. um, the post-production is just, I mean, so finicky. Yeah. So it's just not a skill that I'm equipped with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as you're saying, it's it's great to be able to pass off a lot of that stuff yeah. Um, yeah. so you can really focus on the interviews and the conversations and the content mm-hmm. um, therein. Absolutely. Well, Kat, you've had an incredible creative journey. <laughs> you mentioned your blog, you have the podcast, and you uh, you just handed in a book as well. Yeah. So I would love for you to walk me through your background and you know what led you to start writing. And um, I know you have you're multi passionate. You have uh, photography as well is something that you do. Um, so can you just share about your background and your journey? Sure thing. So I was an athlete my whole life. I grew up, I played tennis and I had, my mom always said that I had little tennis balls in my veins and Mm. that was really my first true love. And I knew the only way that I would be able to go to college was if I got a full ride scholarship. And Mm. so from the time I was in fifth grade, I decided I'm going to get a full athletic scholarship to a D1 college, even though I didn't really know what D1 meant. Um, (laughs) And fast forward, I did. So I was a collegiate athlete for the first two and a half years of college. And then I got really injured and ended up switching schools from a 40,000 student huge campus to uh, about a 3,500 student small Christian school (laughs) outside of Dallas. And I became a Bible major. My goal was I'm going to get a Bible degree. I'm going to graduate college with my MRS with a guy on my arm and start Mm -hmm. popping out babies. And Mm -hmm. I thought, 
if that's the direction I'm headed, then I would really love to lead Bible studies at my house or volunteer at church part-time. So it'd be really cool to know the history of the Bible if I was doing that. So that was kind of my big dream. Mm -hmm. And I never considered myself a creative person. I just always thought, oh, I'm an athlete and Mm -hmm. that's what I'm good at. Creativity is for those other people. And I never thought that I wasn't smart. I, I worked really hard at school and it, and I made pretty decent, I made pretty good grades. But my final semester of college, I, it like, it was like a freshman level writing class had fallen through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And so I had to, I was doing, like philosophy of religion and ethics and these super (laughs) intense courses and then a freshman level writing class. And it was one of the only C's I got in my entire life. And Mm. I remember my professor saying something along the lines to me, if there's anything you're not, you're not a writer. So, you know, figure something else out. And I thought, well, that's no skin off my back because I won't be writing and graduated college and didn't really think a ton about it. And then I, two weeks after I graduated college, moved to Southern California to work for a media-based nonprofit organization where Mm -hmm. I then lived in an intern house with 50 people, made $7 a day, and then traveled all over the United States living out of a van for a few months doing advocacy work for um, a child soldiers and resistance mm-hmm. army in Uganda. And so we did a lot of political advocacy. We did, hosted a lot of events to raise awareness. And it was really through that job. I mean, I was surrounded by artists, all day, every day, whether it was the films that we were showing every day at events were just these beautiful, inspiring films, or it just seemed like every single intern or person on staff was a filmmaker, photographer, videographer, (laughs) graphic designer. And I remember one day our boss doing a morning chat and he said, you know, all humans are creative because Mm -hmm. God created humanity and mm-hmm. God. So if God is the ultimate creative and Genesis one says, we are a Mago day humans made in the image of God and mm-hmm. we reflect our creator, then that means that there's creativity pulsing through each one of us. It's just figuring out what is that thing that lights you up, getting good mm-hmm. at it and then using it for good. Yeah. And so that was a pretty transformative moment for me where I thought, huh, wow. So I can, I'm, I have the permission to be creative too. Mm -hmm. Um, And without, I could share so many details, but Mm -hmm. a year or so later, I somehow landed a job working for one of the top um, celebrity photographers in the nation with zero experience, didn't even know how to turn on a camera and started editing his super fancy A-list events and weddings and portraits. And soon after there, found my way shooting New York Fashion Week with him and traveling all over the world shooting. And then I started getting my own clients and started shooting my own editorial campaigns and weddings and started my own business 
moved to New York. In that process, I started just a fun little side project called The Refined Woman with one of my girlfriends. And it was just about, it was style, style blogs, which um, if you want to see some really bad outfits, um, scroll back way back into my website and you'll see me trying to be a fashion blogger, which was ridiculous. (laughs) So all that to say, um, the refined woman over the last eight years has been a lot of different things. It started as a style blog. And then I just felt like, I, it's really stressed me out (laughs) to do style Mm -hmm. posts. So I just started writing little blog posts here and there about my life or what I was going through or being single and dating. And I remember one day, one of my dear friends reaching out to me who had been in copywriting for 20 years. And she was like, cat, like you really need to take your writing way more seriously. There's so many errors in here. Why are you being so lazy? And I just broke down, started crying. And I was like, I literally don't know what a comma is and I don't know where to put it. And Mm -hmm. I am really bad at spelling. Like this isn't me being lazy. This is just me. Like Hmm. I would always joke with my friends in high school. Like, I think I missed the grammar lesson and I must've been sick that day in elementary school. And so she really, once she realized like, oh, I'm not just being lazy. Like I really just don't know what I'm doing. She Mm -hmm. really, really, she started editing all of my articles and teaching me like, okay, so this is why this doesn't go here. And this is why this doesn't go here. And I'd be like, no, you're wrong. Like, it sounds better like that. Um, so I could keep going on and on, but the long story short is somehow I ended up with a book deal with HarperCollins <laughs> last year and just submitted my first manuscript a couple weeks ago called Sexless in the City. Mm-hmm. A sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. And it, I think, is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that's a that's a little bit about where I've come from. There's if I, if there's more you kind of want to dive into, um, but that's the gist of it. <laughs> that is such a fascinating journey. So you started the blog in 2012. And then you have this friend who comes alongside you and that's kind of your writing training is working with a good editor. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. And she was like, did you really mean to put that there? And I just had no idea. (laughs) I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Listen, editors are like just such a gift. I love working with a good editor Mm -hmm. who can just um, look at what I've written and say, help it become what I meant for it to be Mm. Um, to kind of take those layers away. Um, But that's just, that's great that you had a friend who uh, cared enough about you and about the potential of this writing Mm. to speak up um, and kind of call you out on that of like, Hey, this is something maybe you should look into. Mm. I would love to hear a little more about the process of calling yourself a writer, which you have author on your website currently. Yeah. Was it difficult for you to kind of own that title? And maybe was there a moment where that happened for you where you kind of realized, oh, I'm a writer? Yeah. I mean, it was difficult. I think in 
it was less difficult for me to get to a place where I called myself a photographer because mm-hmm. I was shooting so much. Like I've been a full-time photographer for 10 years yeah. and for some reason, and I think it's because this, like the stuff with the refined woman, maybe it's, it's tapped into so much more of my heart as a photographer. Mm. It is my heart. My work is my heart, but I can still kind of hide behind the camera. And the refined woman is me. It's my story. It's my dating escapades in New York. It's Mm. my anxiety disorder that I've struggled with. It's my, it's me, me, me. It's like me putting my heart out there. And I think when I started the refined woman all those years ago, I, I think words really, really matter. And Mm -hmm. I just viewed it as, Oh, it's the side project that it would be really awesome if we could get free clothes and make money off of it at some point. But I didn't Mm -hmm. really have a big vision for it or like what, what could be possible for it. And so I think because I just like, Oh, it's just this little blog. Mm I, capped our growth. I capped the possibility of what we could do because I didn't take it seriously. And so I didn't take it seriously, which meant I didn't take myself seriously. And if I don't take myself seriously, how are other people going to take me seriously? And if I don't view this as something that could be a thing, how and why would anyone else treat it as if it was a thing as well? So Mm -hmm. I think I went on this journey, my business partner and I split Oh, like about five years in and we just both were dear, we're great and dear friends, but it was just time to go in different directions. And it was really at that moment where I thought, you know what, this isn't, if I need to start, I need to like have the wherewithal to say what I like speak hope into existence and speak possibility Mm -hmm. into existence. I am writing. So it is okay. And I have the permission to say I am a writer and Mm -hmm. I speak. So I am allowed to say I am a speaker and Mm -hmm. I have influence. I'm allowed to say that I am influential. I am a leader. I'm allowed to say that. And so I think something that so many people struggle with, but very much myself is feeling like a fake. And Mm. if they only knew how much of a fake that I totally feel like, or how I really just don't feel like I belong here. And I'm just waiting for everyone else in the room to figure out that I'm the girl that almost flunked out of a freshman uh, level English course when I was graduating college then then they'd really know and then they'd really reject me. And mm. I think what like flipped in me was I had this moment around that time where I remembered being a collegiate athlete and mm. I never felt like I belonged there, even mm. though I had spent almost my whole life working for this goal to become an athlete, to become a scholarship athlete. Mm-hmm. I was went to state every year. I was ranked nationally in high school. I got the full ride scholarship to a D1 school. I played number one line doubles as a freshman. And by the time I left, I was playing between one and two singles as well. And, and I broke records at our college. I was ranked nationally in college. Clearly I belonged there. (laughs) I mean, like look at the evidence, but I never felt like I did. I was team captain as an underclassman. I never felt like I belonged there. And I can look back at certain matches that I played and 
see how I almost gave up because Mm -hmm. I just thought, I don't really belong here. I'm not good enough to be here. And so I created a self-fulfilling prophecy and would lose matches. And it was like under the surface, it wasn't totally conscious, but I can remember a match in particular where I was just like, I just want to lose. And so I can prove to myself what a piece of crap I am and show everyone else a piece of crap I am too. And so I looked back at that and thought, you know what? Clearly I belonged there. Not only did I belong there because I just know from the inside out that I belonged there, but the evidence was all around me that I belonged there. And so once I started getting, I was getting pursued to write a book for about two years and I turned it down for a year because I thought I'm not a writer. I don't want to do this. Don't make me tell my story. I'm not going to write a book. And so I, I turned down offers for about a year. And then finally, I was like, what if I just started taking people's word for me for it? You know, like, Mm -hmm. why are people reaching out to me if they don't think I'm good at this? You know, Mm -hmm. and so in my own insecurity, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to have a little faith in myself. And I'm going to trust that the people around me aren't lying to me. <laughs> wow. And so I, that's when I started calling myself a writer. And even through the entire writing process, the last, I, before I started the actual book, there's the whole book proposal process, which yep. took me about five months. Um, but every single day of writing my manuscript, I like literally have post-it notes in my apartment. And I'm, I'd say like, I am the girl for the job. Like mm-hmm. I am the girl for the job and just look at all the evidence around me for that. Cause I think mm-hmm. we're constant, like we're constantly looking for evidence to prove narratives to ourselves. And I can find a thousand pieces of evidence that says I'm not a speaker. I'm a crappy business owner. I'm not a good writer. Mm-hmm. But I can also find just as much evidence that says the opposite. And the mm-hmm. difference, what the difference between walking in fear or freedom is making a conscious decision to choose possibility, even when the insecurity is there. Um, so that's kind of been my journey is like, I just, I'm going to choose to believe not out of arrogance, but out of, I now have a whole team in a publishing house that believes in me. So why mm-hmm. don't I believe in myself? Like, what mm-hmm. if I just took a chance on myself? Other people seem very willing to do that. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much, it, it feels like a very vulnerable thing to make that switch, right? To, to, to kind of go all in and trust and believe. And I love how you said it, trust that the people around me are not lying to me. Yeah. Um, that's such a, it can feel like a, a really scary and vulnerable thing to do to make that switch. Yeah. But I think in making that switch, in kind of making that decision to choose possibility, as you said, mm-hmm. to look for the confirmation of the more positive narrative, mm-hmm. I think there's there's a ton of grace in that. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the other narrative, in that I'm a failure, that I'm like just looking for confirmation that people are going to find out I'm a fake. And mm-hmm. if they really knew, you know, what was going on inside of me, they wouldn't have so much faith in me. You know, I think there's, um, yeah, there's just no grace in that path because you're constantly looking out for the mistakes or looking out for trying to cover your bases. Right. And I think we we do that. I do that because I'm afraid. You know, I'm afraid mm-hmm. of 
well, I've hoped before and I've been wrong or I've been disappointed Mm -hmm. and disappointment hurts. It doesn't feel good. Rejection hurts. It doesn't feel good. Um, Being left behind or broken up with or Mm -hmm. losing the job or even not putting myself up for the job and not getting it is painful. And I think that we, our bodies are designed to protect us and like literally like God created our bodies to save us. And mm-hmm. so what happens is these neural pathways are created in our brains that are then trying to protect us from, oh, mm-hmm. well, that hurt last time. So let's not do that again. Yep. And so that's why we do the stuff like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to even apply for the job because we make up an excuse. Oh, I'll never get the job that I want. I, I'm a woman in a man's world or, mm. um, you know, I don't have the qualifications for it or the guy, the guys that I like never like me. So, mm-hmm. you know, I might as well not even go to the party or if I talk to him, I, I'm just going to. I always get put in the friend zone. So I'm just going to assume that's where I belong. And so we act as though the entire universe is conspiring against us (laughs) Mm. out of self-preservation as Mm. opposed to, you know, scripture says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And Mm. so like, and faith is choosing to believe the unseen, So what I see all around me could be evidence that the world is conspiring against me and that I will Mm -hmm. always be single and I will always be rejected and my ideas aren't good and I'm a crappy writer or whatever, you know, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So that might feel really real based off the circumstances and experiences that I have had in my life. But I think that's what's so powerful about the invitation of faith is faith Mm -hmm. says that might be real, but what if you had the audacity and courage to believe something more real? And I think that's Mm -hmm. what we refer to when we refer to things like what is ultimate reality, you know, because the flesh and blood is real. Those are real experiences, but it takes courage to say, you know what, I'm actually going to flip that script on its head and believe that the universe is actually conspiring for me and that I'm I'm going to actually have the courage to believe that God is who he says he is and that the promises that I have access to are not just for some other people, but for me as well. So if that means all things work together for my good, then all things work together for my good. If I really believed that, how would I be showing up in my everyday life? Well, it would be like, I just feel like it would, we would be living these like really bold lives and Mm -hmm. taking risks and playing big. Um, Yeah. So I think, you know, what really stuck out to me is the powerful tool that we have in our imagination and Mm -hmm. what a gift it is. And we can, um, I was listening to a podcast by um, Emily P. Freeman. Um, Her podcast is called The Next Right Thing, but she was talking about, using your imagination, choosing to use your imagination to imagine good and to imagine better as opposed to worry um, is is an act of imagination and imagining the worst that can happen. And as you said, it's a protective instinct. It's mm-hmm. that instinct to like, if I know, if I can visualize it, um, if I can remember all of the past mistakes and not make any of those again, then I will be safe. Mm-hmm. But kind of making that switch to imagining and having faith in God is actually for me. 
God is for me. And as you said before, the people in my life are not lying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surrounded by people who care about me and want me to succeed. Um, it kind of reminds me, I haven't read this book in a while, but it kind of reminds me of uh, something that Donald Miller talked about in his book, Scary Close, um, which is all about intimacy and and kind of the shift that he had there um, with the narrative of believing that the world was not against him, that most people were not showing up to read his book or to his event or whatever, and mm. just hoping and looking for him to fail. Mm. Yeah, I think, gosh, that's, I, I haven't read that book, but that sounds like so good. And I think I love what you said about imagination. And one thing that one of, I have different life coaches and one of my coaches said to me, man, you are, you are such a good fiction writer. And I was like, huh? <laughs> and she was like, man, you know, you just created this entire story <laughs> about something that hasn't even happened. And yeah. you are now trying to not only convince yourself of this scenario, you're trying to convince me and everyone you talk to about this whole, like, you should be a sci-fi writer, really. Like you, you're just, you've made this whole fiction narrative up, like, about something that hasn't even happened yet. And she said, you know, for as much time as you're spending Mm. unpacking, what is, what are all the worst case scenarios possible? Or you're, I, you're, you're spending so much time projecting, well, here's how I'm going to fail. She was like, Mm. what if like, if you're going to do that, fine. But what if you spent just as much time focusing on the possibility of all the amazing things that could happen? And then if we're going to be putting our energy towards anything, why would we put our energy towards fear? There's this possibility. If both of them like could happen, like so Mm -hmm. it's possible that my book could sell millions and millions of books and change people's lives Mm -hmm. versus my book could totally fail. I'm going to have to pay my advance back. I'm going to be the laughing stock of all humanity. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, both options are possible, but why, why not believe the one that's life giving? Mm, Yeah. You mentioned um, you mentioned the coach just now, and you've also mentioned kind of working through uh, some anxiety. Um, I would love to hear if you have some some practices that really help um, when you're in that place of having to flip the narrative. Are there some practices you have that help you do that? Yeah, for sure. So I think the first thing to do is just start to notice. Just mm-hmm. notice. What are the, you can call these things a million different things. What are the conversations in your head? What are the internal narratives, dialogues? What are the things kind of in your brain on a regular basis that you are so familiar with that are just there? And Mm -hmm. what are these subtle statements inside of you that feel really true, whether it's every morning I wake up and the first thing I think is, I'm so tired. I wish I could sleep more. I'm just so tired. (laughs) Well, then I'm all I think about is how tired I am or Mm. man, I just, I, I'm, I liked this guy and here's another situation that just didn't work out. Guys only want to be my friend or Mm online dating does not work or man, I am so tired of 
being the only person in my family that X. So I think the first thing is just to, just start to notice mm-hmm. what are some of those conversations that come up for you? And, you know, I say just notice because it's so easy to notice and then judge mm-hmm. and judge ourselves. Well, I shouldn't be thinking that, you know, mm-hmm. well, okay, should doesn't matter. <laughs> should right. is like the most unhelpful word in our language. Like it doesn't matter what you should or should not be doing. What matters is where you're actually at. So you have to first give yourself permission to just notice where you're actually at. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, get curious. The belief or narrative that the type of guys that I like don't like me back, that isn't that didn't come out of the void or a vacuum. Mm-hmm. It came from somewhere. Where did that belief come from? What happened when I was a child that cemented that belief for me? Hmm. And because we all, all of us have a first time, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would say one of the first times I can remember that experience for myself was I was in the seventh grade and I was at a middle school dance and I went up to the really cute, popular guy in my grade. I still remember his name. And mm-hmm. I asked him if he would dance with me. And he said no. And I walked away and everyone laughed at me. Mm. And I remember feeling so embarrassed and also confused. Mm. Like, I didn't know I wasn't cool. (laughs) I Mm. didn't know that he was quote unquote better than me, but Mm. everyone else seemed to know something about me that I didn't know about myself. And that's that this guy that I liked would never like me back. And so I started to believe something about myself. And so from then on, everything that did or did not happen, every interaction, every conversation became evidence to further that belief. So that by the time, you know, I'm in my 20s, 30s, and I hear that, oh, uh, there it goes again. I don't even Mm -hmm. question it because it's been true as long as I can remember. So I think we really have to get curious about what are, what are the roots? And if you think, oh, I remember this time when I was 17, it's, it's earlier than that. Even mine is probably Mm -hmm. earlier than the seventh grade. Um, And then I would say after we get curious, we have to acknowledge the fear. Um, We, and in order to acknowledge fear, we have to know what it is because fear can be really subtle. Fear Mm. is often the root emotion under things like anger. Well, Mm. underneath my like topical emotion of anger, I'm scared of being alone, rejected, Mm. left behind, found out. Fear is under control. Why do we control things? We're afraid of being out of control. What happens if we're afraid of being, what happens if we're out of control? Just, I would just follow whatever feels like the top of that lily pad and just go all the way back down to the root. What's really underneath here? You know, so many of us say things like, oh, I'm just so stressed out or I'm so busy or I'm just an anxious person or I'm an anxious flyer. That's just like saying, I'm just fearful. Let's just mm-hmm. call it what it is. It's fear. And once you tap into the fear, then you have to ask yourself, what am I really afraid of happening right now? So for example, when 
I started struggling with anxiety attacks, I would be so I first started my first like huge, massive anxiety attack happened in the middle of photographing a wedding. And Mm. I am, you know, in the middle of shooting family portraits, there's probably 75 people there. And Mm. I got super dizzy and thought I was going to fall over and felt like I couldn't breathe. And all that in my head, the only thing I heard was get out of here, like go, Mm -hmm. you have like, get away from these people, go to the bathroom, lock yourself in that room Mm -hmm. and take care of yourself. And so what was underneath that for me is what I'm really afraid of. I'm really afraid of needing people. I can't Mm -hmm. ask for support because if I ask for support and if I need other people, I don't know if they'll really be there for me. And so I don't want to be exposed to my weakness because the only person that I really know will take care of me is me. Mm-hmm. And so I think acknowledging the fear for what it is and asking yourself, what am I really afraid of happening? And then mm-hmm. asking yourself, okay, so what if that happens? So mm-hmm. once I started struggling with panic attacks, then what became the most terrifying thing was, oh my gosh, what if I have another panic attack? <laughs> like I didn't, that's the, just the one thing I didn't want was another panic attack. And mm-hmm. I remember my same friend who helped me with the copy editing saying, you know what, Kat, it's probably going to happen again. And it'll probably happen again after that. And I felt I wanted to have a panic attack just because she said that. <laughs> yeah. But what was important for me to acknowledge is I, like, even when I have a panic attack, like I'm actually okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm safe and yeah. it doesn't kill me because in the moment I'm like, I'm dying, I'm dying, get me out of here. Yeah. But it's over. And then I'm like, oh, that I'm over. I moved through it. I'm actually safe. So even mm-hmm. when the worst case scenario happens, we're actually going to be okay because mm-hmm. God loves us. God, like I am safe because of who God is. Even if the worst case scenario happens, like there is still a foundation of hope rooted in who God is. And so I think from there, we move into discerning fear of freedom is the root belief that you're agreeing with underneath those statements. Is it, is it fear or is it freedom? So second Timothy one seven says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mm-hmm. mind. New Testament mm-hmm. says that Jesus came so we could have a free and abundant life. And Ephesians, yep. we hear Paul saying to be rooted and grounded in love. So at the core of our beliefs, is it fear or is it freedom? If it's fear, that thing is a lie from the pit of hell that has no business being in your life. Mm. (laughs) And so even though it feels true, if it's rooted in fear, we can know that that is out of alignment with the heart of God. Mm. And so I think from there, the question is, what is possibility? Like what would happen if the opposite were true. So what if the type of guy that I liked, liked me back? Like, what if that could actually be true? How could that change my life? And then from there, it's flipping the script. So what I literally do is I write out on a notebook paper, what are all the narratives that are coming up for me right now? Why am I afraid? Or why do I feel anxiety? Why do I feel like I need to be in control right now? Why am I angry? Whether it's I'm scared I won't be able to pay rent next month. I don't know what the next step of my career is. What if I write this manuscript and they reject it and I have to give back the money? (laughs) Whatever the fear is. And then literally on the opposite side of the page, I just do a line down the middle. I say, what's really true here? 
And then I literally preach that truth over myself until I believe it because you didn't always believe that you were a piece of crap. You preached it to yourself or other people preached it to you until you believed it. You didn't always believe you were unworthy. We do not come out of the womb believing we are, unwor- we are unworthy. It was preached to us. We received it or our circumstances tried to convince us of that. So it's going to take work to flip Mm. that script. Like we're literally changing neurological pathways in our brains to have a different bicycle path. Like we're creating different Mm -hmm. highways in our brains when we're flipping that script. So, I mean, as vigilant as, as you have been for your whole life about telling yourself and others how unworthy you are, you have to be just as vigilant flipping that script and saying, actually, I am whole. I am loved. I am seen. I am worthy. I am enough. I am taken care of. And those aren't just like willy nilly flippant woo statements. Like all of those Mm -hmm. things are rooted in the truth of who God is and who he says we are. Um, So I think that's one of the most important parts is then preaching that truth to ourselves and then reaching out for support when sometimes we, I don't have the courage to believe for myself or pray for Mm -hmm. myself or hope for myself. And that is what community is for is saying, you know, I have a group of friends when I'm struggling with anxiety, I literally can just text them at any time and be like, right. Like no questions asked. I just need you to pray, pray for me right now. Or I'll Mm -hmm. say, Hey, remind me of what's true. Remind me of what's Mm -hmm. true right now. Um, and I think getting rooted in truth, like truth, combats fear and lies and we just have to ground ourselves and root ourselves in that in those truths now there's also other like really practical things to do when you are feeling afraid like um Mm -hmm. different like breath work and stuff but those are like that's like the practical um like process i go through to identify my narratives yeah and that's so great and it is so practical And it seems really simple in a lot of ways, but also it's very, it's not easy when you're kind of in that state. I find for myself um, that it can feel like it is work. Mm. Um, But what I don't realize is I'm already doing a lot of work. Right. I'm already doing a lot of expending a lot of energy as you were talking about earlier with, you know, what your coach said to you, you're already expending all of this energy to do what you know. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, I think for me, it, it's been a a process of realizing that it's a substitution. It's not like adding this whole new thing on top of what I'm already doing. It's no, this can work in place of what I'm already doing. And, um, also like giving myself the grace to learn, Mm -hmm. um, and to not have to do it perfectly. Yeah. And to know that, I'm not, there are going to be times when I forget, you know, part of this, or there are going to be times when I don't, um, don't have the audacity to believe. And, um, which is of course, as you mentioned, why it's really crucial to have support right, and to have community that you can trust to, to reach out to right. in those times. And I think that's such a good point is we expect, or so I'm, I'll just make it personal. I thought, oh, I had an anxiety attack and now I know what my fear is and I know how to flip the script and I'm good. Yep. And so I'm never yep. going to struggle with that again. And mm-hmm. I went a couple years without struggling and then it came back. And mm-hmm. at first I felt 
I must be such a failure if I'm back at Mm -hmm. square one again. But really, I was not back at square one because this time around, I had tools that I didn't have the Mm -hmm. time before. And the anxiety attacks were less intense and I was able to move through them a lot quicker. And I think we think we like, we expect perfection out of ourselves when literally no one else does Mm -hmm. besides if we have a really bad coach or an unhealthy parent or, (laughs) but perfection isn't the goal growth is and growth is Mm -hmm. two steps forward, two steps back, one step sideways, three steps diagonal, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like growth is a lifelong process and fear is always going to be there but our relationship to it can 100% change. Yeah. That's just, I mean, come on now. That's such a good word. (laughs) So, so practical. I do want to shift gears a little bit and talk about, because you write about singleness and I don't have that many guests on who do. And so there's, I think a level of awareness Mm. that, uh, and noticing that you have, um, because you're in that space. Speaking about growing and learning to move through particular challenges, I would love to hear about a particularized challenge that you've noticed as a single woman um, in the creative entrepreneurial space, um, and even to niche down a little bit more in, in the Christian space, a challenge that you have noticed and a way that you've learned to move through it, or maybe how you are learning, because it's as you said, growth is an ongoing process. So it's not like a one and done thing. Yeah. So I would say the problems that I have had in my business as a single woman. So let's first just talk as a business. I would say, uh, in, you know, the refined woman is, a for women run by women. And so there, I don't really have issues there being a single woman, getting my message out or anything like that. Mm-hmm. In fact, talking on singleness and being a single person who knows what it's actually like to be single in today's culture is helpful mm-hmm. for my business. Yeah. When I first got into photography, when I was trying to network and climb that ladder, put myself out there, I remember I when I first shot New York Fashion Week, I was only one of two women in the photographer's pit. So very mm-hmm. much boys locker room talk, very derogatory. And mm-hmm. I remember having to sit in between the legs of this really old gross man just mm-hmm. to get a spot in the pit. And he would like rub my shoulders and it was really gross. And I, but if I didn't let him do that, I wouldn't have had a, a spot. And then I remember going to huge, you know, fashion week parties at the Plaza Hotel and being a single woman trying to network with the other male photographers and feeling like every single time I went up to a group of guys to, hey, what's up? Like, I'm Kat, what's your name? Because the way you get business is when other photographers mm-hmm. can't do the job they've been pitched, they'll say, Oh, I can't do it, but Kat can do it. Mm-hmm. She's great. We've worked together. And anytime I would come up, it felt like all of a sudden the conversation would be like, Oh, well, my wife and my wife this and my wife that. And I felt mm-hmm. like, Listen, <laughs> no one here <laughs> is trying to be a home wrecker. I'm just trying to 
build a rapport and relationship so that we can all get work here. And so I felt for a really long time in my photography career that I was a woman in a man's world and that my femininity was a liability and not Mm -hmm. an asset. Now that was not a narrative that served me, even if it felt really true. And even if it was true and Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I really flipped that script that I and started believing, actually, you know what? Me being a woman in this world, when I'm on an editorial set, the models aren't afraid that I'm going to try to get them naked and Mm. take objectifying photos of them. They trust me Mm. in a way that they're not going to trust a male photographer. And I see the world differently because I am a woman. And so I would say I used to think that being a single woman held me back. And I had a lot of evidence that would lead me to believe that that was true. And that was causing me to play really small in my career. And so Mm. once I flipped that narrative, uh, my entire career changed. And, you know, I, I say these things not to toot my own horn, but to share to other women who feel like I can't get ahead because I'm a woman. I'm saying it's BS. Like I've been running my business mm. now for 10 years. My work has been in GQ, Vanity Fair, Glamour, People. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had clients like Carolina Herrera, Mara Hoffman, Rockefeller, Neiman Marcus, <laughs> SoulCycle. Mm-hmm. Like I have gotten to do that. And so I, I don't want to, I think I just want to be really careful how I answer that question because I just feel like singleness and being a woman will hold you back if you say so. Um, Mm. So, and then now in regards to the church, I think being, there's not much else that's worse than being Mm. a single woman in the church. And Mm. I, and I think what is worse is if you are a black single woman in the church. I think I believe what Malcolm X said all those years ago that the most, um, basically the most underprotected woman in the American culture is the black woman. And so I do not at all want to compare my struggles as a single white woman with a black woman mm-hmm. at all. I will say that as a single woman in the church, I have felt as though the married wo- married women get more opportunities mm-hmm. and more leadership positions and more access to the pulpit because there's mm-hmm. something that's quote unquote safer um, yep. or more acceptable about a married woman. And I, I think that's wrong. <laughs> I yeah. think it's not biblical. Um, and so I think that if there's anywhere that I've received the most pushback, it's been in the church. Like, you know, I like people don't really know what to do with me. Um, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's, we could go off on a whole other tangent about gender roles and yep. um, stuff like that. And I think the, I think just the tiny little sentence that I'll say there is from page one to the final page of scripture from Ruth mm-hmm. to the Proverbs 31 woman to Queen Esther mm-hmm. who stopped mm-hmm. a genocide with her influence to Lydia in the New Testament and Mary and many women who helped fund the early church in Jesus's mm-hmm. ministry as single women and women in general played a powerful role in the gospel and the, in the biblical narrative. And God is very for women, regardless of their relationship status. And it pains me when there is less opportunity for single women in the church. 
Mm. Kat, I just have a couple more questions for you as we're already kind of talking about the book. Um, you know, how can we support you? Where can people find you? And also maybe mention when people can expect your book to come out. Yeah. So my book, Sexless in the City, is going to be out April of 2021. And that is, I know, it feels like a long time away, trust me, but it's going to be here before you know it. And yeah. it will start being on pre-sale on Amazon and such around like February, March of next year. But if you want to follow along with my journey, Sexless in the City is actually a series on my blog that I've had for a long time. So that's Mm -hmm. therefindwoman.com. I'm talking about all of this stuff on my podcast on a weekly basis, The Refined Collective. And my Instagram is The Refined Woman. And then if you are a single woman and you're like, holy cow, like, tell me more about singleness and it's such a struggle fest or I don't know how to date. Mm -hmm. Um, I have awesome free resources for single women who feel stuck in their singleness and you can go to bit.ly that's B I T dot L Y backwards slash T R W dating tips. That's bit.ly slash T R W dating tips. And I have a free downloadable guide called six tips to activate your dating life. And just that will kind of like get you into my community. I have a private Facebook group for single women where I do weekly coaching on for free. So all of that is through that dating tips link. So yeah. Awesome. And I will put that in the episode description. So it's nice and easy for everyone to find and remember. Um, Kat, last question. And I always end with this question. Will you tell me one thing that's hard right now and one thing that's great? Mm, That's so good. Okay. One thing that is hard right now. Well, right now, oh my gosh. I mean, my heart is breaking over the individual corporate systemic racism in our culture and in America. And my heart is what is hard right now is that Breonna Taylor's killers have still not been arrested and charged. Um, I mean, we are talking today on Juneteenth, which is such an incredible day to celebrate. And yet we, here we are in America with so Mm. much oppression. Um, So that is heartbreaking and heavy. And I think we should all be feeling the heaviness of that. Mm-hmm. And so what is good right now, I would say is I watched Brian Stevenson, who is mm-hmm. the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, which is such an incredible mm-hmm. organization. I support it. I financially support it. If you don't know what it mm-hmm. is, Google Equal Justice Initiative. It's an incredible organization designed to help people on death row who have been wrongfully convicted. It Mm -hmm. helps with the mass incarceration problem in America. But Brian Stevenson said said something that I'm going to, I'm not going to say it perfectly, but the thing that kills justice is hopelessness. Mm. So if we want justice, we have to have hope that goes hand in hand. And when I look around and see everything in our culture, I want to be hopeless. Mm -hmm. I want to say, I don't know how things are ever going to (laughs) change, but Mm -hmm. like scripture says, hope does not put us to shame. And then I see organizations like equal justice initiative or the innocence project 
and mm-hmm. people like Austin Channing Brown, her book going yeah. viral and mm-hmm. women like Rachel Cargill, um, my friend Ty Alexander, Pastor Eric Mason from Epiphany Bible Fellowship, who wrote the book mm-hmm. Woke Church. And mm-hmm. I see people in the midst of heartache and pain and hopelessness fighting for hope. And I think that is really good. And so I want to run towards that goodness and do my part and be an ally and keep learning about where I have been biased and complicit and comfortable in my white privilege. Um, Mm -hmm. So that might be like maybe deeper. I can say like, what's good right now is the new Chloe and Haley album, which I'm loving. (laughs) Um, But that's, that's kind of, I'm being real where I'm at. Yeah. Both great answers. So important to be looking for the hope. Um, Because that's an act of resistance in and of itself, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Kat, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Mary B. I'm very, very grateful. You can find Kat on social media at The Refined Woman. Her website is therefinedwoman.com. And her podcast, The Refined Collective, is available on Apple, Spotify, and more. And that link she mentioned with the free download is bit.ly slash TRW dating tips. Okay, so remember that exciting announcement I mentioned at the top of the episode? Well, enrollment for the Creative Refresh is open. It's a six-week group coaching program in which I help single Christians move from overwhelmed to empowered in their creative calling. Through this six-week program, you'll create a sustainable vision for your creative calling, You'll learn how to overcome self-doubt, how to ask for help and set boundaries, how to make decisions and pivot when things don't work out like you hoped. You'll walk away empowered and equipped for the creative Christian journey. And you'll walk away with a group of newfound collaborators and companions. If you're tired of struggling to make progress on your own, frustrated by trying to apply generic course material to your specific context, and overwhelmed by the number of decisions you face alone on a daily basis, the creative refresh was made for you. Head to marybesaferit.com backslash group to sign up. The program begins September 8th. Enrollment is only open August 11th through the 18th, so hurry over to claim your spot. Thanks for listening. Huge thanks to Kat for sharing her wisdom. Content editing by Katie Hodge. Sound editing by Andrew Kim. Theme music by Chad Rollinson. That's all for now. See you next time.